let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. So we are joined on the Thursday Night Babble, recording night early, but we're on the Thursday Night Babble, myself and Johnny, by Andrew Magnum from the famous Arse blog. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Hey, guys. How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. Apart from, I, like we said, being being Arsenal fans right now. Apart from that terrible trauma that we're uh, carrying around with us at this moment in time, everything's great. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? I'm a Liverpool fan, but I'm I'm 33 years old, so I never saw the heyday. I had to watch you win leagues unbeaten, Thierry Henry terrorise Jamie Carragher, do everything. Arsene Wenger and that brilliant team. So I I mean I do have some sympathy for you, but I also like you know you had it very good too, boys. So we'll try and sure. Um, think. Swings and roundabouts, isn't it? You know, it's cyclical. It'll come back again. You know, at some point, Liverpool will be shite and we'll be... <laughs> Everything will be hunky-dory with the world. <laughs> the best... We're not United fans. Not, you know, Steve isn't here tonight to get his bit in. He's United fan on the podcast. We're not United fans, so that's even better. There you go. Uh, uh, Andrew, we'll get straight into it. Arse blog. Mm. What made you set it up and... it? Uh, when doing it, do you find it as a release for you as well with the football? Uh, it's I've told the story before, but basically I, I set it up as a kind of web design exercise to teach myself how to do a web design and, you know, doing a, a site about Arsenal, there was always going to be something to do. So I figured I'd update it quite regularly. I'd learn really quickly. And, you know, as it turned out, I wasn't that good at the web design side of things. And, uh, much more enjoyed the the writing. So that very quickly became the focus. Is it a release? I'm not sure it's a release, but it does, it, you know, because you're always on. I mean, I do the blog seven days a week, 365 yeah. days a year. We do, you know, two or three podcasts a week. So I don't know that it's a release, but what it does is it allows you to at least examine things in detail. And you might be angry about something at first and then after a while, you come to terms with it or whatever it might be, or or you might not be as angry about something as everybody else appears to be, and you can find an explanation for things. But no, it's kind of all-consuming in a way. Yeah. And that's not to complain, because like, who would complain about writing and talking about your favorite football club uh, for a job, which is you know basically what I do. So I'm not complaining in any way. It's just become a thing that that the sort of the media landscape and and what the audience want and what the listeners want, the readers want, um, you know, it's it's always on. So, no, there's no great release. Um, summertime can be a little bit of a release, but then it's just crazy transfer mayhem madness all the time. So on the rare occasion when I get a day off, that's the release, not the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you enjoy the, the transfer madness? Um, uh, no. <laughs> I hate it. 
I look, you know what I like? I like when my club signs a new player. <laughs> I think we all like that. All football fans love when their club signs a new player, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah. it's something different, it's something fresh, it's something that you hope will improve your team. So, you know, I completely get why people are mad for transfers. I think the whole thing that's built up around it these days is just it's too much. It's too much. You know, this it's it's nonstop all summer long. You 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 know, the weird thing is and I know there are journalists of varying pedigrees out there and what have you, but you've got really good journalists working day after day after day on stories and getting information and the sort of information that fans want. And because of the way the transfer market works, something that's true now by the end of this podcast could be not true. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Journalist gives that information in good faith. And then the nature of, social media these days is that you know if you get one thing wrong that sticks with you forever and ever and ever and ever you know it's like a life sentence in a way so i think there's what what's i suppose most frustrating is that there's a lack of understanding about how the industry the journalism industry works um of course there are people out there just looking for clicks there are fake itks and all those kind of bullshit artists out there because you know, they prey on the people who, who desperately want any kind of information. But I think what's what's most depressing about it is that the good guys and good journalists and good reporters get sort of tagged in with all this nonsense for yeah. three months. And uh, yeah, it's it just becomes a little bit a uh, little bit too much um, for me, to be honest. You know, yeah. I like signings, all the stuff that goes with it. I could, you know, leave to one side for sure. Yeah, and, and like you have James on the Arse blog with you, mm. David Dornstein last week, who you done a fantastic podcast with and made very good points about the Cronkies. But like I said in one of our recent podcasts, I I don't want Arsenal. I don't expect Arsenal to sign a player for a hundred million the way Chelsea have with Lukaku and so on. Like I I'm more excited about Lukonga. Like I think he's been fantastic, and Arsenal picking up gems like that, I think, is the way forward for for our club because we can't afford. To spend a hundred million on one player, to be quite honest, but it it is a bit frustrating. I can understand some of the fans frustrating that we didn't get in a right back in the summer. We didn't get in a centre midfielder to really take Granitxaka out. Mm. And that this is one of the frustrating things. Granitxaka is, you know, he's divided opinion with Arsenal fans, as you know yourself, Andrew. But I heard Edu's interview, and you know, he said. He didn't want to sign a midfielder because Xhaka and Partey are basically going to be the starting midfielders. But, I mean, there's so many limitations, I think, with Xhaka. And I think he he can add things with his leadership, but he lets us down more times than enough. And, you know, the, the tackle against Manchester City was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he even came out and tried to defend himself. But like, I think we kind of have to get behind him anyway and accept we have him for at least another season. But, I mean, was, was it a frustration for you that, that Xhaka is still there and we maybe haven't got in uh, a centre midfielder who who should be starting every game and, and be partnering Thomas Barta. Yeah, look, I mean, I think one of the things that, that I was looking forward to, this might sound harsh, but if Shaka left, we would have had to buy someone good, you know? Mm-hmm. We yeah. would have had to buy an yeah. experienced player in that position. And we've all seen Granit Shaka, and, you know, some people like him, some people don't like him. I think most people would say whether they liked him or they disliked him, they'd be pretty much ready to move on from him. Um, He's Dejan Lovren in midfield. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. You know, he's one of those players that, you know, he can be really good for four or five months and then he does something and everyone's just like, oh, this shit again, you know. Yeah. Um, and there comes a point where you just have you have it up to your eyes with that. You know, the other thing I suppose that, that I find a little bit frustrating, uh, potentially frustrating, is that they could have kept Shaka and still improved midfield. They could have, you know, said to Mohamed Elneny, Time for you to go, pal. And we're going to bring in that good midfielder anyway. I, I genuinely think Arsenal fans would feel about 43% better about the transfer window if we'd signed all the young players that we'd already signed, but replaced Granite Xhaka with an experienced central midfielder, you know, who, who's got a bit of profile, not, not necessarily someone who's, 28, 29 years of age, but somebody maybe around 25, 26 is coming in at around their peak years to replace Shaka. I guarantee you people will be feeling a lot better about the, the season. Um, or, or I what certainly would. Ahead, you know? Yeah, like Xhaka had his, his house picked out in Rome. You know, he's flirting with Mourinho on Instagram. Mm. And, you know, he, it's, it's very strange. I thought that he basically was, was going and then he signed a new contract and of course, the week he signs the new contract, he gets a red card and mm. kind of lets the team down. But, I mean, Arsenal have done okay in the transfer window this this summer. Um, there are positions, you know, the Hector Bellerin situation should have been sorted out a long time ago. Um, Eddie and Kedia, like, he's going to go for nothing next year, the same mm. with that. Like, I can understand Arsenal didn't want to give them away for 12 men or whatever they didn't think was worth their value, but... I mean, if we had got money for Eddie and Kedia, for Hector Bellerin, you know, it all adds up and that could have went towards improving the team. Um, like Bernd Leno is probably going to go next year too. You know, we're going to lose a lot of money, I think, in, in terms of these players that, that we could have generated funds for. But listen, it is what it is. And yeah, we just got to get behind the team. And Edu has said that he's excited to see this team come together now. You know, we haven't had a chance to play all the players that we, we should have had available due to COVID and injuries and different things. So, I mean, I think Norwich is, it's a massive game already. You know, we have to get the win. And I mean, I'd be happy just with a 1-0 or 2-0 or something. You know, it doesn't have to be 5-0. I just think Arsenal need to start getting points on the board and showing their fans that, that we, you know, we are, we're not, we're not going to get relegated this year. You know, I, I think we are, we're too good of a team to get relegated. But, of course you are. Yeah, but it's it's just, you know, I find it frustrating that Arteta had us playing decent enough football, like against the likes of Man City in the FA Cup semi-final. And then it seems like, I don't know, maybe the players have just given up a wee bit. It, it's just, I don't know. What do you think of it, Andrew? What you've seen of the Arsenal team over the last couple of months, you know, but it is, it seems like some of them maybe aren't behind Arteta and what, what his thinking for the team are. I Well, I, it's really difficult to say if the players are behind him or not. But I, what I think it's fair to say is that the the kind of football that we're playing isn't quite what you would expect from Mikel Arteta. Maybe the players are a little bit confused by it as well. It does strike me that there's an element of that. I think it's a fair point, isn't it, to say like it's a different team if you've got Gabriel in, if you've got Ben yeah. White in, you've got this new right back in who's not necessarily a right back, but I think... Tommy Asu's going to come in and play there. You've got Kieran Tierney at left back. Partey's back in the team. You've got Lokonga in the team. You've got Saka, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, Aubameyang. You know, that's that's a team people can get behind because there's enough yeah. that's new about it. And there's talent in there and there's potential in there and there's development potential and there's Nicolas Pepe as well. And, you know, there are 
there are things to be positive about for sure when we get this team up and running. But because of the start to the season and because we came into the season on the back of, you know, a really disappointing season last year. I know we had a good second half and all that kind of stuff, but the Europa League elimination was really disappointing. We finished eighth. So it was really important, I think, to get off to a positive start. Even if you don't win against Man City and even if you don't win against Chelsea, you can give a good good account of yourselves and, and you can come away from those games and say, well, look, there's a gulf in quality, a gulf in class, a gulf in you know, their development. Uh, they're much more advanced in their developments as teams than we are, but you've got to beat Brentford. You've got to beat Brentford. And I know that the circumstances of that game were weird as well where four COVID cases and they were looking for the game to be called off. And there's all sorts of rumors that they wouldn't let it be called off because it was the first game of the season. It was on TV, et cetera, et cetera. So I do have some vague sympathy for that, but I, I think that Brentford game and the manner of the defeat against Manchester city have really, really um, changed, not changed the mood, but solidified the mood. So what they do on Saturday against Norwich has to go, some way to start changing that mood back the other way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I thought we were okay for about four or five minutes against Man City. Yeah, was- <laughs> and as, t- as soon as they scored, you know, Arsenal's heads just went down and they went into their shell. Well, Man City did that to Liverpool uh, when Sadio Mane got sent off. Man City ripped Liverpool to pieces mm. too. But this, I'm I'm looking on the other side is and and they Arsenal are. Um, What's the term I'm looking for? They're an easy target. Liverpool were the easy target on their end of Douglas, Peter Rogers, and then and Hodgson before that. They were the easy target. And it feels like now that this is Arsenal. So that's why the whole talk is in all the media when they lose or are defeat. But nobody mentioned, well, hang on, they were down to 10 men and they're playing this man. As soon as Man City get a man up, they are ruthless. They are ridiculously ruthless. Whatever Pep does with Jedi mind tricks, they're ruthless. And that was never mentioned. It was just like... Oh, Arsenal getting thumped again, but that wasn't really the case. Like, do you know what I mean? And then it was just seen as the, you're right, Andrew. The Brantford one was the one you're thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But the the Man City one, I would look at and go, oh, we got we got licked, but oh well, we'll move on and we'll go from there. And you'd you'd be hoping then, obviously, they can and they can bounce back. You tweet, I think you tweeted that team that you were going through there. Out, yeah, everyone wants to see this team when it's fully fit. Mm. Like. We saw what Gabriel was like last year. He was amazing at times. I'm excited about Martinelli. Johnny knows that when Martinelli gets a full run of things. Saka is just a wonderful man, like a wonderful boy. Everyone wants him to do well. And he's going to be a brilliant player. Smith Rose already shown what he can do. There's a lot of, there's a doom and gloom now at the minute, but there's a lot of positives at Arsenal. And, and Johnny knows that. I always tell him that anyway. But not to talk about the, the current Arsenal team, Andy. Let's talk about the Arsenal teams, the great ones that have gone before. For you as an Arsenal fan, and I always say to people if I ask them this question, the first one comes in the head. What's your greatest night as an Arsenal fan? And if you say Michael Thomas in 89, I'm cancelling this phone call. <laughs> um, I mean, it's right up there. <laughs> I was I was old enough to, to remember that, and, and I was watching it on TV with a couple of cousins, one of whom was an Arsenal fan and one of whom was a Liverpool fan. So Lovely. it does... It does um, it does really uh, resonate with me when we're talking about that. Uh, I think as well, you know, you can look at the winning the league at Old Trafford in 
2002, I think is uh, is a really big one as well because I think that was a game when it was you know a bit like '89, um, the two best teams in the country at the time. I think Arsenal were more established as one of the best teams um, in 2002 than they were in '89. You know, it was Liverpool who are maybe coming towards the end of an era, but this was two teams who were right at it. They've been at each other for years and years and years. The rivalry was was so strong and so intense and. There was real, you know, hatred between the fans and between the players and the managers. And and those games are incredible. So to go to Old Trafford and win 1-0 and, and, you know, take the title back and then go on and win the, the FA Cup a, a few days later by beating Chelsea when John Terry fell flat in his stupid face. You know, <laughs> those, were, um, those were good times, you know. So there have been some amazing nights. 89, as a Liverpool fan, I know you don't want to hear it, but it is, if you're of that era, it is one of the greatest football moments in in any Arsenal fan's life, just because of, like, I mean, how could it not be? It was fucking ridiculous. If you wrote that script, people would say, take it away. No one's going to believe that nonsense. Um, So, yeah, it's right up there. But I do enjoy the, the, the 2002 win at Old Trafford as well. I, I, I think it was Brian Moore's, uh, was it a, his birthday or was his anniversary passing the commentator? I'm not sure which one it was mm. last week, and it was on again. And even though like, I was one or coming one, but it's just it's such a sublime sublime moment in football. Like it's just, it's when you break it down. If somebody did a snapshot of breaking it down, it's it's the faces in the background. It's Steve McMahon panicking. It's Thomas running through. It's just it is. Like, I know it's against Liverpool, but it is just pure poetry. Mm. It's such it's a special moment. Like a lot of <laughs> yeah. people say, the Aguero moment is the greatest moment, the greatest finish to a season. Like that is complete bullshit. Like <laughs> I obviously wasn't alive in '89, but even I know, you know, the circumstances of that Liverpool team were fantastic. And for Arsenal to go to Anfield and will win by two clear goals in the last day of the season, and Tony Adams to lift the league title in Anfield was just. It was spectacular. It was unbelievable, yeah. you know. It, it certainly it, it certainly beats like a, a a team owned by a nation state with hundreds of millions of pounds pumped mm-hmm. into it to buy some of the best players in the world, beating ten man Queens Park Rangers. Yes, give me a fucking break. <laughs> we 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 get angry on this podcast about certain ownerships and mm. certain ownerships models. Now, I I get angry at my own fans, own relatives, own friends because they. Our Liverpool fans and they they want FSG out, which is in to in my terms is completely mental. That they, they have made mistakes, but it's completely mental. Uh, but it's the it's the wanting of the greed of the money and the other ownerships that I just I can't abide. Johnny, no, we know this. Like we can't abide about it. It's just, it's mm. there's it's just hard. So it, for me, yes, the 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 Arsenal goals much greater. Anything this isn't have a dig at certain teams. Anything that certain teams do in my opinion, has an asterisk against it, but we'll not get into it in this podcast. But yeah, yeah. you saying that is spot on. Isn't it, like, yeah, isn't it a bit sad that, like, we're in a situation where as football fans, if you want your team to be good, if you want your team to be successful, if you want your team to be competitive, the only real option, you know, in Premier League terms anyway, the only real option is for you to become one of those teams, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, shouldn't we all be looking for uh, a league or a sport where that kind of competitive imbalance is not possible, 
where it's more even, where it's better for every team. Um, there are always rich teams and there were always rich teams. And I suppose there will always be teams who are richer than the others. But the way it is right now is just, it's absurd. I think it's sad, you know, that people are like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And I say this, uh, you know, as a supporter of a club who have a billionaire owner, we have a, our owner is a billionaire. Um, mm -hmm. He's not the same, obviously, as an Abramovich or as, um, you know, the, the the owners of Man City or the owners of PSG or whatever. Um, and I, you know, but I quite happily trade that in if it was a case that there was something approaching a level playing field financially for for the Premier League and for, for football across Europe. I think that would be the thing that we, that's what we should be getting angry about as fans, I think. Yeah. Like, you look at uh, some of the teams that can't make the Champions League now mm. because you can't get into it. Like, some of the teams, like Benfica, obviously, uh, got put out, uh, or PSV got put out by uh, Benfica. PSV. Mm. Like, and nobody thinks about them. Feyenoord are sometimes the same. You have some of the other Portugal teams. You have, you have these unbelievable teams that would have come from Eastern Europe. And you don't hear head nor tail of them anymore because they can't get into the Super Rich League. Well, that, that's it, it, really it, isn't it? You know, look at the fans when this whole Super League nonsense was announced. Yeah, like fans outside the Emirates, outside Stamford Bridge, mm -hmm. it was it was amazing to see those fans come together. And now the Super Leagues went away for a short period. We know that it will come back in some shape or form. I just think, you know, football fans are happy enough if they can just go back to kind of what they've had. But what, what well, something that kind of annoys me is that the Cronkies have backed the club this summer. Mm. There's no doubt they've given them money, that they've backed them. But it's 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 a point that David Ornstein made with you last week, Andrew, who I thought was, was very good, that they backed the club when they needed to get out of trouble. But why do they not back them every year with, you know, a marquee saying? And, and I'm not saying it has to be like a Lukaku, like I said earlier, but, you know, bring in a player who's of real good quality, who's going to help improve that team and push it on to the next level. And it's not that. Mm. Well, I mean, we... we... We kind of did that in 2013 and 2014 when we brought in Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. Uh -huh. And the problem, I think, and I think the the big the real beginning, well, not the real beginning, but the the beginning of the very end for Arsene Wenger was the summer of 2015, when we only brought in Petr Cech, uh -huh. and that was a team which needed more than Petr Cech. And when you consider what happened that season, when you consider the 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 way pretty much all the big teams fell away. And Leicester won the league and I'm taking nothing away from Leicester because they were brilliant and they played really well and they got a huge amount of points and fair fucks to them. Um, I just think from an Arsenal perspective, if we pushed the boat out that summer and really brought in another player of that kind of stature, that kind of caliber, I think it just says something about the way you want to operate and, and how you're going to operate and how you're going to play. And instead we didn't and it fell apart in kind of timid fashion. And I think that in some ways was was a mirror of what we did in, in the transfer window that year, you know. Uh, we have spent a lot. As a club, Arsenal have spent a lot. Like they yeah. spent 150 million this summer. Last summer they spent, what, 50 million on Thomas Partey, nearly 30 million on, on Gabriel. So, you know, you're talking the guts of, 220 odd million in 12 months that's the kind of investment that fans would be 
delighted uh, with at other clubs, I'm sure. So it's now really just down to getting results and getting performances out of these players because I'm not a fan of the Cronkies. I'm not going to defend them, but the money has been there. What that money costs us in the long term, that's another question. That's something I've got some worries about. But uh, this is this is on the, the the manager and the technical staff and all of that kind of stuff. They've got to start putting these players on the pitch and getting results. Yeah, if, I, I if think... you were in charge, sorry, sorry. If you were in charge, on it, what would you do? If I was in charge, yeah. If, if you I give Eddie... you the keys, if you were Eddie, if I give you the keys to the kingdom at Arsenal, what what would you do? On top of what's already been done. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you could make some <laughs> changes if you want. Um, um, what would I, I mean? You've got to operate within the bounds of reality. I do think the Shaka yeah. one is 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 something I would have done this summer. I would have moved him on. I would have taken what I could have got for him, and I would have reinvested in a better player. Um, and I say that accepting that Arsenal as a club right now is not the most attractive. So, you know, there's no European football. So you might find it difficult. That's why I think this this youth policy, while it makes a lot of sense on many levels, I think has been informed by the reality of the situation. Because if you want to go out and buy 25, 26, 27 year old, top class European talents heading into their peak years, how do you convince them to come to Arsenal? No Champions League, no Europa League. Maybe you can convince them with a massive pay packet, but that's a mistake they've made too many times in the past. So. I don't I don't really have any issue with the strategy that the club has implemented this summer. I think the the idea of signing young players is a good one, not least because there are other good young players at the club, Saka, Smithrow, Martinelli, uh Tierney, who else am I forgetting? I'm uh, I'm forgetting somebody as well. You know, there's Pepe in there as well. Um Balagoon is a good young striker. So there's there's a core of young players to be grown there. It's just that this plan appears to be hinged on, you know, the experienced players in the squad being the foundation for these young players. And I don't know that that's going to work with some of these players. Leno and Lacazette, they could be gone next year. Aubameyang's not getting any younger. Xhaka, he's Xhaka. Thomas Partey, he's, you know, a great player, but needs to stay fit. So... That that element of the plan is what worries me. So that's why I think I would have, if at all possible, got rid of Xhaka and brought in somebody um, better with more experience and a bit more actual leadership rather than Xhaka's own personal brand of of leadership, which is sort of like bottling your own piss and calling it aftershave. <laughs> I suppose, Audrey, it probably... Uh, <laughs> it's a great, great, great note. Um, going back to the start of the Emirates era when, you know, Seth Fabregas was coming through, we had Thomas Rzyski, you know, we had a good core of young players. Um, mm-hmm. We still had the likes of Gilberto about, Jens Lehmann was still there, you know, Colo Torre, William Gallas, I think the less that is said about that signing and the number that he took is um, the better. Yep. But it's exactly like you said there, you know, we had experienced players in that team who guide, you know, the likes of Fabregas coming through and even Van Persie and, and stuff like that. But, I've kind of felt maybe Aubameyang's attitude, even Lacazette to degree sometimes over the last year or so hasn't been great. You know, when we've lost games, they've sent, you know, the 
the likes of Saka out to do the interviews when I feel Aubameyang as the club captain should really have stepped up and, you know, been the face of the club and say, yes, it hasn't been good enough, but we're going to try harder. And I, I granted, I know we did do that quite recently in an interview, but and I understand he did have things going on last year, but I just thought as your club captain, club captain of Arsenal, mm. you'd expect a wee bit better. Um, the same with Granit Xhaka, obviously. I thought when when he got subbed uh, under Emery and told the fans to fuck off, like, quite honestly, I thought that was just him done, and I think he should have been done then. Mm. But that's just something with the captaincy, I feel, since maybe Henri went. It's just bounced around to different people, and there's been no real sort of leaders who are going to... The likes of, say, Tony Adams at the moment would get into this Arsenal team, they grip the likes of Xhaka and whoever, and say, fucking yeah. wise up, let's let's get going here. You're know? in Yeah. I think Tierney is a great shout. And I, you know, one of the things you hear is like, if only we had another Tony Adams. And it's like, well, wouldn't everyone have a Tony Adams if they could get one? Wouldn't everyone have a a Roy Keane if they could get one? And there's a reason why all these years later, Keane and Adams and, uh, you know, those kind of captains are are held up as the, the sort of flag bearers for that particular role. It's because they're so rare. They're just so rare. They don't yeah. exist very often. Um, and if you're lucky to get one in the modern world, you know, uh, it, you're just blessed. I think leadership, I think sometimes too much emphasis is put on the captaincy and, and you know, what one guy should do to a team. I think, you know, it's got to be a collective effort. Everybody has to be, everybody has to be, a leader in their own way. And I think some people are more naturally inclined to that. You know what I mean? Or more naturally inclined to face up, take responsibility, do the media thing, whatever it is. But I think when you're on the pitch, the only way you can do it is by, you know, doing your job to the best of your ability, wanting the ball, looking to contribute in a positive way. So I think when things aren't going well and they're not, we're looking for this like, this sort of magical solution. Like if only we had a captain that would, that would bring everything together. And I'm not sure that's the case. I think it's a bit more complex than that, you know, which isn't to say if you had a character like that in the dressing room, it would do you any harm. It certainly wouldn't. And there's a few players in that Arsenal dressing room, I'm sure who would have found their heads cracked together (laughs) more than once over the last 18 months or so. But, uh, you know, I think we have to look at maybe the wider issues regarding how we play and the way we're set up and, and everything else. Yeah, I think our season really does hinge on Aubameyang having a very strong season in front of goal. Um, I think that's quite obvious to everybody. You know, if he doesn't score goals, mm. we are in trouble. Um, Flo Balogun, there's obviously been a lot of talk about him. He's a very exciting young talent. But I think we've seen against Brentford, he's maybe just not ready yet. And a lone mm. move probably would have been beneficial for him. Um and Aubameyang got the hot trick against West Brom. Basically, Arsenal went into their shell against City after the one 0 down, so he couldn't really do much. But if Aubameyang doesn't score goals, I'm kind of fearful that we're going to have a similar season. You know, mid table maybe. Um, I think we have to be realistic. Arsenal's aim should be Europa League this season, and that's fair. Um, going forward, like Phil, me and you have discussed Arsenal and you know the progress of Liverpool under Klopp. You know, I think. You could see where Liverpool were going under Klopp. You know, the first season he was there, they got the two cup finals, then the next season qualified for the Champions League. Champions League final the following year, won it the year after that, won the league the year after that. You could see the progress with that team. 
sometimes I kind of struggle to see pro kind of the plan with Arteta's lineups with the way he sets up the team. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets kind of confused about his, his team selections or the way he sets the team up. But I thought it was very strange, and everyone said, I think you even said it yourself on one of your podcasts. I don't get why he didn't go with, with three at the back uh, in some of the games, especially against the likes of Chelsea. Um, we, we, it's worked in the past, and mm. especially when players haven't been available. I think we kind of had to just adapt to the opponent and try and do our best and get at least something out of the game. But, you know, hopefully with, with Gabriel coming back, Ben White back from, from COVID, Arsenal can start to get some positive results. Um, and I think we will. I think we'll be all right. Um, but I think we, all we want to see is sort of decent play. You know, we can see where this team is progressing. You know, even if we do finish fifth, I think maybe James said on a podcast for you, there's a way to finish fifth. You know, we can finish fifth the way you know, Emery finished fifth, or, you know, we can finish fifth, you know, seeing these young players develop and play well together. And we can see in the future, these guys are going to finish potentially in Champions League spots and hopefully challenge for the league again. You know, Brenton that does this podcast with us is a Chelsea fan and he's delighted now that Chelsea have won two Champions Leagues. Uh, <laughs> I would, you know, give my left nut for a Champions League for Arsenal. You know, it, it's just, it's just the... <laughs> 2006, and I think you were actually there, Andrew, in Paris. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the moment of Thierry Henry running clean through against Victor Valdez, you know, nine times out of ten, Henry puts that away. Yeah. And I think I think that's that game over, and Arsenal won the Champions League. And that's a sliding doors moment for us. Sure is. It sure that is. If ever there was one, that is a sliding doors moment for a football club because if if Wenger gets his hands on that trophy. There's no stopping Arsenal. The location where Arsenal is, the size of the club then, the new stadium coming on, Thierry Henry, Arsene Wenger, just becoming a European champion. That that explodes. The football in England explodes under Arsenal then, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm on the outside end, but that is such a sliding doors moment in football. Yeah. Too soon, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not over the 96 FA Cup final on that. C-U-N-T, Cantona scored that goal in the last minute. I'm still not over that, Andrew. Don't worry about it. I, I, I'm taking that to my grave. Is that, uh, look you, you at that, the Cup, so it's okay. Is that the white, I, sh- or white suits final? Yes, oh. it is the white suits final. Yeah. <laughs> tell, I, tell me I, this, Go on ahead, Johnny, sorry. Me, me and Phil, collectively, were kind of wondering. Now, I know I do, because I grew up watching Arsenal at Highbury. <laughs> um, if you could... Would you take Arsenal back to Harry tomorrow? I think, you know, the realities of the modern game mean that that would be impossible, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, what was it like? It was beautiful. Genuinely beautiful. The sort of grass when you came up for a night game and you looked out on that grass, it was so green. It was... It was a classic old style English stadium in that you walk around the corner and there's just houses and then you walk around the corner and there's a football stadium, which yeah. I think is almost unique to, to English football. Um, but of course, because of, because of the design, because of the history, it just had something, you know, yourself, when you go to a place, it doesn't have to be a football stadium, but you can feel that there is something, there's history 
in a place, in a building, mm -hmm. in a city, wherever it is, you can feel and you could feel that in Highbury. But I think the the reality of football and the way it was developing, and and we we have to remember as well that this this plan was put in place before anyone had even considered the idea that someone like Roman Abramovich might come along and buy a football club and do what he did to Chelsea. Yeah. Arsenal made this move so they could compete with the existing, you know, <clears throat> super clubs, if you want to call them that, in Europe. You know, the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, AC Milan, Juventus, Bayern Munich. I'm not saying that we would ever have, you know, done it, but but they were all able to generate much more revenue from their match days. And as things were becoming a bit more modern, as the demand for corporate hospitality and all that kind of stuff, Highbury just didn't really have the ability to generate those funds. So it was, I think, you know, the fact that the the departure from Highbury has, has coincided with some years of deterioration, if you like, um, hasn't helped the Emirates. I think if Arsenal were to win something at the Emirates, I mean, we've won FA Cups, of course, uh, but they were won at Wembley. But, you know, you, when you come out onto your own pitch and you raise the, the Premier League trophy in front of your own fans uh, and the trophy stays in that stadium for a year, I think it will, it would, it would feel different. So I completely understand why fans, um, particularly who, who grew up at Highbury would feel wistful for it, but I do, I do understand why they did what they did. You know, it was to take yeah. Arsenal into a new era to make it more modern. But as we were doing that, as we were fin financing ourselves up to the next, you were starting to see the emergence of oligarchs, nation states, oil barons and all the rest coming into football and just completely and utterly changing the financial landscape of the game. And I think it's, it's kind of unlucky in a way. Um, and Arsenal have been an unlucky club in, in recent years in, in some respects, you know, so. Yeah. I think we're still very fortunate that I suppose the shell of Haybury is still there and not a lot of clubs have that, you know. There's, like, yeah. If you look at White Hart Lane, for example, that shithole was just knocked down and built the top of again. Whilst <laughs> yeah. every we, podcast we, you get to dig in at them, uh, fuck them. Um, you know, we we still have Highbury there. You can still walk around and, like you said, you can feel that history there. And like I was very fortunate. My dad brought me over when I was younger, and Robert Earnshaw ruined the fucking day by scoring the 85th minute. The bastard. Um, <laughs> Robert Earnshaw. I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, Jens Lehmann uh, kicked the ball against me and knocked my hot chocolate over me. Like, I mean, it was an experience I will never forget going to Haybury for the first time. Uh, and then going going to the Emirates, obviously, it was very exciting and it's a new new dawn for the club. And mm. the Emirates is a fantastic stadium, but I, I've seen a number of people on Twitter mentioned about the Emirates looks like it's fading a bit. You know, the legends on the outside of the stadium are, are faded away. And, you know, even the crest outside the stadium is, yeah, it just looks like it could do with a lick of paint, you know? Um, yeah, I think they're aware of that. We, we you know, um, one of the guys on our spot has been in touch with them to sort of, you know, talk to them about it. And they have committed to sprucing the place up, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's, you know, part and parcel of, 
of what they're going to have to do. You know, the, the idea that you could just have it uh, and, and it would be fine and no maintenance is crazy. So they are going to have to do something about that. And I think they are, they're aware of it anyway. Um, you know, the other thing is maybe you shouldn't have let it go like that in the first place, but you know, at least. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Definitely true. Um, Andrew, I'm conscious of time, but I actually want to talk to you about a team that's actually making us, I suppose, quite proud this week, um, the Arsenal women's team. Um, mm. Very good result against Chelsea at the weekend. And, you know, I was quite glad to see Anna Hayes so bitter, you know. They were fantastic. <laughs> and, um, Beth Mead scored some fantastic goals. And, you know, Beth Miedema is just, I Both, think, what a player. Everyone, everyone knows who she is and you know the quality she has. But Arsenal and women's team have have definitely invested very well this summer. And mm. just credit to Tim Stillman as well, who covers them for yourself. He does a fantastic job. And um, I mean, I think he's made even me more aware of what's going on with with the Arsenal women's game. So, it's, I mean, they're they're the biggest club in England in terms of of women's football. Um, they've won. You know the European trophy, so Chelsea can fucking shove that up their ass. To be quite honest, um, <laughs> these little digs. Yeah, I mean they're they're great. Um, and I think if you're looking for some hope that things might improve from the men's perspective, um, one of the things they talked about during the summer, maybe earlier in the summer, was like they were going to invest in um, the women's team. There was going to be no uh, situation where they weren't going to try and make the women's team competitive. They brought in a new head coach. They brought in some really good players this summer. You know, you look at Tobin Heath coming in, a superstar player, gives the club, I think, a whole new audience in the, in the USA um, just because of how, how much she's achieved in her career. So they've made good decisions, and it's the same people making the decisions about the women's team who are going to make the decisions, the ultimate decisions about the men's team. Um, not quite the same, but that same sort of um that board that executive level thing so they've done well there uh, i know it's only one game this season but you know when you beat chelsea who are one of the one of the teams you've got to beat if you want to give yourself a chance of winning the title to do that on the opening day it's it's sort of like polar opposite of what the men's team have done isn't it you know <laughs> yeah uh, um so yeah it's so weird because like Liverpool has done so well with the men's team and they've been absolute assholes to the women's team. Yeah. Absolute fucktards where it's actually, it's not mentioned enough. It isn't mentioned enough. Uh, and I myself haven't mentioned enough and it needs, it needs properly mentioned and brought up and constantly picked, picked up because they've left them, they've hung them out to dry. The women's team, and the women's football is the, the fastest growing sport in the world. Mm. There's so much opportunity now to get young girls in the football and get young boys going down to watch brilliant ladies football team and watch it and enjoying it. And so when I hear you talking about it, I'm like, this is brilliant. And I watched that Arsenal team we watched last Sunday, and it was amazing, especially because obviously Breton, as Johnny mentioned, is Johnny's cousin and he's my brother-in-law. So anytime Chelsea could beat at anything, we go to we go to town on him. <laughs> but then my club, uh, they've left them hung out to dry. They're now in the championship. Hopefully they can come up. But it's 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 a it's a it's a black mark for me against the my owners at my club and how they're running things and it's something that I want them to address very very soon. Why haven't they done more? Because you know a club like Liverpool, exactly. you know, with the stature that you have, with the the fan base that you have, like I've read some horror stories about what's going on with the women's team there. Uh, so I don't really understand why. 
an ownership which I, you know from the outside appears to have connected quite well with the Liverpool fan base and and has presided over a period of you know real success when you think about Champions League when you think about the Premier League you know it's it's uh it's surprising to me that they haven't at least well surely they've had the feedback from people surely they've had people say to them look you've got to do more here so have you any idea why they haven't no and and that is that's the 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 hugely frustrating part liverpool the ladies team won the league not that long ago they won the league and they were flying and then it was almost like they just pulled the pin in it let's just focus on the men and the ladies side will be that team over there like at times they weren't even letting them train at certain areas because they were letting uh, the the younger male teams train. That is that is disgusting. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? It is something like I'm not in any way position to part do anything, but it is. I know other podcasts that are brilliant have sort of highlighted it and and they're doing certain things on and 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 hopefully more be raised and they but they should be looking at what Arsenal have done. They should be looking at what Chelsea have done, what Man City have done, what Everton do. And what Manchester United have now started doing, I know they've had certain issues um, coming up, but I think they're going to try and address that. And they should be looking at this and going, hang on, we we have badly let our women's football team down here. Mm. Let's address this completely and get this sorted. And it's not about just chucking big mad money about whatever players, but let's support them the way they should be supported. They should be on a level playing field. They should be training where the main, that new complex, that should be accommodating everyone, should all be sorted, everything should be done. They have now, uh, when when um, kits have been released and different things and marketing campaigns, there you can tell there's more of an emphasis now on, on getting mm. the women's team involved. Like uh, Missy Kearns was involved in the in the new unveiling of the new yellow top today, um, and she was on, uh, on at the front of it with Virgil Van Dijk and Jordan Henderson and different things like that. And that's brilliant. But there needs to be more. It, it, is, it is such a sore spot for me because I have one son. But if I have a daughter and she's interested in Liverpool, I want her to know that there's a Liverpool women's team that she can aspire to play for and be proud to play for. Where at the minute, yeah. you'd be like, no. It, it's, yeah, it, it is. Uh, there are a few, as you said, FSG do have us on side to a point. And then they'll seem to do something every 18 months where you'd be like, why, why are you doing this? Yeah. Like the ticket, the the that we're already annoyed here. And people are already annoyed here in the north because you're paying sixty two pound to go watch Northern Ireland play Switzerland tonight. But FSG did that like three or four years ago. They tried to extortion prices for a, I think West Brom were involved as well. That was against West Brom and, and fans walked out. Then they, of course they joined the Super League. Yeah. That was a whole shit show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's still this, you know. Go. I don't care if they pump a hundred, two hundred million pound into the transfers. I don't care because Jurgen Klopp's my manager. So whatever he wants, whatever he does, I trust him. I don't care if they don't. We've got Canadi for $36 million. That's all we spent this summer. Cool. Look at the squad they have. Stop crying about it. But it's these other issues. It's the ticket prices. It's the trying to help local fans get to games. It's the food banks that I want them to stay involved with. We shouldn't have food banks. That's a different podcast altogether, but... Anyway, and it's the women's team. Get this involved. Get them involved. Look after us. Support them. Give them the proper support. But they don't. But oh, anyway, they, to on Arsenal. I hope Arsenal get success this year with that team. And Emma Hayes though is unreal as a coach. Like she's on ITV tonight, and she is brilliant to watch and listen to. And Viv Maidana. Oh, what a footballer, lads! She's I, the best forward Arsenal have at the football club. 
can I just go back to one thing you said there a minute ago? Mm-hmm. Did you say it was sixty-two pounds to, to watch Northern Ireland against Switzerland? Fifty-seven pound, and then your surcharge brings up to sixty-two. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, <laughs> and I, 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 I have, we have, we have a, a one of our fellow uh, babblers is there tonight. He's at it. He's, he's, did he win he's the lottery? No, he didn't win the lottery, but um, he, he 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 looks after himself, and he's him and the two brothers, or they don't miss a game. And they, no, I understand that. I, if you're a captive audience, if you're a fan who goes to all the games, but Jesus, yeah. that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, it, it hasn't gone down well. The the Porter down. Uh, supporters club, which would be uh, sort of where me and Johnny are sort of from. Mm. They um, they usually run a bus, I think, up to the games. This is the first game in 33 years they haven't run a bus because wow. their members are refusing to go. Which is fair, well, fair better. Yeah, fair fucks. There is a point where people will just say, that is it. You know, yep. and everyone says, well, you know what, if they don't go, there, there are people there who will take their place. Yeah. Process. Yeah, that's, a point where yeah. I'm not sure that's as true as it used to be. No, no. Like I spent £92 to sit in the top tier in the back row of the Emirates to watch Arsenal play Spurs a number of years ago. And I think even that is extortionate. Yeah, you yeah. know. The charge with the one, so that's the way it is. Listen, Andrew, we have taken up far too much of your time. This has been amazing. I, you, you're. Uh, blog or your podcast I don't listen to all of them but you would be the only ones known uh, as in a single club that is in Liverpool I would listen to because I think they're I think they're brilliant I think you're brilliant at what you do uh, as I said before we came on here and your voice and talking to you is mad when I've heard you on podcast <laughs> like, I'm actually we still a wee bit freaked out by it um, but thanks so much for, for coming all. on and chatting to us um, and football folks even if you're not Arsenal, but you want to listen to a good podcast and you want to read good writing, head over to Ars blog and check it out. You, you will not be disappointed. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you on maybe towards the end of the season when Arsenal are winning the league title. We'll bring you on, Andrew. And you and Johnny can have an hour just celebrating. Sure, we'll yeah. do that for you. <laughs> I, I mean, finishing sixth. Is that it? Well, no. no <laughs> I always look at the positive. It's early days. It's early days. Yes, yeah, still, um, what, uh, so still 105 points to play for. So, you know, exactly. win all our games. We have a chance, I think, yeah. We can break the record. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on, and good luck with the podcast.